So when last we left off, we were with Moses and Miriam and Aaron somewhere on the Sinai Peninsula on the east side of the Red Sea. There's gonna be a, a time of traveling for Israel as a nation. You don't make good time when you have two million people basically on foot with a few animals and carts. And so it's gonna take a while for them to get to their destination. And, you know, life for the most part is what happens on the journey from here to there, right? I mean, if, if you're always waiting to live until you get to your destination, whatever that is, well, when we have this much saved, or when, we, when, we, when we're ready for this, then, then we'll start living. Well, all of life is the living. All of it is the journey. And Israel's in that process. How, how do you live on the journey until you receive what's promised to you, or what you've planned for, or what you've expected, or what you hoped for? How do you live in the in-between times? And that's the kind of stuff that we're gonna deal with this morning. This is in the book of Numbers, chapter 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Book four of the Bible from the very, very beginning. And I wanna just pick up some verses through chapters 11 and 12 to describe a situation happening with Israel. Chapter 11, verse one. Now when the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, the Lord heard it. Okay? I, I, I tried to convince the children today that the Lord saw them and knew their way. We should believe that. So when we're celebrating, the Lord sees it. When we're complaining, the Lord sees it. We, we, should, we should know that. And there is a difference, you know, between complaining and praying, right? We're invited to bring our concerns to the Father and ask for help. That's a different thing than complaining about what's not right, what's not fair, what we deserve, and telling anybody who will listen that, or just you know, quickly posting a meme on Facebook saying, you know, gripe, 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 complain, complain. They're not the same thing. Complaining usually happens between us and another person or institution. It is often self-centered. It is often a negative attitude about maybe what we presently have and what we think we deserve or what we demand. Praying is humbly asking God for what we need. We are invited to pray, not so much complain. Numbers 11, verse four. The camp followers with them had a strong craving and the Israelites also wept again and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing, for free. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. You remember the manna. Israel didn't have food in the desert, no way to produce it. God fed them bread from heaven every day except for Sunday. Every day except for the Sabbath. I guess it would have been Saturday. And it, this stuff covered the ground. They could pick it up, 
crush it, beat it, turn it into flour, bake bread with it. They said it tasted, the scripture says it tasted like normal bread made with olive oil. And when they say olive oil, they mean it tasted like rich bread, right? Not dry, tasteless bread, but rich, moist bread, just like they liked. But now they're sick of looking at it because gracious, they have to eat the same thing every day. Verse eight, and say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wailed in the hearing of the Lord saying, if only we had meat to eat, surely it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat, you shall eat not only one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? If you know the story, you know the Lord sends quail to them, covers the place, knee deep in quail. They have more meat than they can do. It brings a plague. It causes all kinds of difficulty. It's not a sin to want meat. And it's not a sin to pray to the Father and ask for meat. But the problem is, it's a sin when you reject the freedom that God has given you just to satisfy an arbitrary craving. God had rescued these people from slavery, from bondage. He had given them freedom. He was on the way to giving them a land of their own. They were headed someplace important. And on the journey, God was meeting the need they needed for sustenance, for food on a daily basis. They had everything they need. They had liberty, they had freedom, they had a destination of a great promise of a land of their own. They were being fed and it just wasn't enough. They would rather trade all of that just for a good smorgasbord for a day. Remember, the mission for Israel is to represent the goodness of God and the character of God to the nations around them. The mission of Israel is to show the world that God brings freedom and release from bondage And how on earth will they ever be able to do that if the essence of their witness is grumbling and complaining? And unfortunately in our story, it's not just the people who are confused about this, it's some of their leaders as well. It's not just the people complaining. This complaining is a virus that spreads with great contagion. Chapter 12, verse one. Now Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this, verse three. Now Moses, was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. 
At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. Verse 10, when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, please God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. It's a strange passage of scripture in some way. It, it reflects customs that we don't completely understand today, certainly ones that we do not embrace today. But there is a clear meaning to what's being said here. I mean, the opening question is, why are Aaron and Miriam grumbling? I mean, especially all that Miriam has seen at this point. And, and what is this connection between Miriam and the Cushite wife? We're not given the whole story here. We're just given the fact that they were grumbling about this. And we don't know why Miriam is so upset that Moses has a Cushite wife. We don't really think he married an additional woman. We think that Zipporah, his first wife, was probably a Cushite probably from that portion of the world. Um, and maybe the problem is he married a foreigner, a non-Jew. Maybe this wife is having undue influence on Moses. No one, no one knows. A Cushite woman would have likely been a deeply colored, dark-skinned woman. And maybe there's some racial prejudice going on in this story. We just don't know what is happening. We have no idea why Miriam and Aaron are griping, griping about this, but if you think about it, there doesn't really seem to be a logical connection between their concerns about a Cushite wife and their complaint, the way they voiced it to the people. Doesn't the Lord speak through us too? How are those two things related? There doesn't appear to be any relationship. It sounds like we're just griping and we're not getting enough attention here. And we're just looking for some reason to gripe out loud and we'll just stir up some trouble here so that we can get the attention that we crave. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? 
Why does Moses have pride of place? God has used us too. We deserve some attention. But, but think about Miriam a little bit. She was there when Moses was in the basket. She approached the princess and found Moses a wet nurse. She endures decades of slavery in Egypt. She helps lead the parade out of Egypt. She danced on the eastern shore of the Red Sea, leading the women of the nation in song. She deserves some recognition, right? And and Aaron, Moses' brother, we assume perhaps a younger brother, he also endured slavery. He undoubtedly worked in the Egyptian mines or in the brick-making factory. But he was the one who could speak well. He became Moses' voice in the face of Pharaoh. God singled him out for an important role in the rescue of Israel. And he is the priest now. He and his sons are identified and made the priests in the tent of the meeting. God has singled his whole family out for special attention. And along with Miriam, they are part of Israel's leading family. Aren't they entitled to some recognition? Shouldn't the people pay more attention to their advice? Didn't they deserve to be held in the same esteem as Moses? And, and why does God seem to favor Moses over these two, if indeed he does? We, we just don't know how God thinks about these things. But we do know what God thinks of Moses, don't we? Moses will be called throughout all of Jewish history as the prophet, capital T. Any time in scripture where there's no you know, specific identification of who the prophet is, it's Moses. He's the first amazing top of the line prophet. Why maybe? Well that third verse gave us a clue. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. God can do a lot with humble people who don't feel the need to take credit for what God is doing. Humility. It it may be that Moses is this humble because he's had the advantage of having very intimate conversations with God. And when you step into the presence of God, one of the things you know immediately is how very small you are. I think it's one of the reasons I like to get to the ocean every year. You stand on the beach and you look at the ocean and you see how big it is and it helps you know how small you are, how tiny you are. It it puts you back in your appropriate place in the cosmos. And think about the relative comparison of the size of the ocean and the size of our God. And you step into the presence of an unlimited being like God and you realize that, that we're just not much. And to, and to scramble for notoriety or fame or posture in the face of that kind of awesome, awesome majesty just doesn't seem appropriate. And when God tries to explain to Miriam and Aaron about this relationship that he has with Moses, he says things like, 
if you can observe the way I speak with Moses, if you understand the intimacy that Moses and I share, you ought to be afraid to say anything against him. Why would any of us say anything against any of God's other children? We're, we're a family. Together, we are representing God to the world. If we have anything to say about other members of the family, it should be complimentary. It should be encouraging. It should be, in, it should be supportive because that's how the family works and that's what pleases our father. And in this particular situation, Moses is more than a prophet. He speaks for God. And his overriding qualification seems to be that he's the humblest man on earth, which may mean that he knows God better than anybody else. This should tell us something about the role of humility in the character of all of God's people. This story about Aaron and Miriam and Moses is part of the description of life between the moment of freedom from slavery in Egypt and the journey to entry into the promised land. The Exodus, as we've been saying, is the creative act of God to make Israel a people, a nation of their own. They leave Egypt and they're headed in a direction And the direction is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give you a land. I will make you a people. From slaves in Egypt to free folks in Canaan, God has selected this nation for a special mission in the world. And in many, many ways, that story is pretty much like our story. We've been rescued from the dominion of sin and darkness. We have been adopted into his family, forgiven of our sins, given new lives, and we've been invited to take up the family business, which is to love our neighbor and honor God. This is the mission that defines this whole journey. This whole journey is supposed to be defined by this mission that the children of God will bless the world because of the way they love others. And God will use them to direct his love to the whole world. That's the definition of the mission we're given for this journey until we get to the place of the promise. We've not yet entered this promised land. That's the the destination. And the way we get there matters. The question is, will we be faithful to God on the journey? Or will we join Israel and Aaron and Miriam in the grumbling? Grumbling because we don't have everything we want. Grumbling because others have more than we have. Grumbling because we didn't get enough attention or or as much attention as we think we deserve. Grumbling because others won't do what we want them to do grumbling because things don't turn out the way we expect them to turn out, grumbling because God didn't choose to be our butler or personal genie. When we deal with neighbors, and especially neighbors who disagree with us 
about some very fundamental things. Do we exemplify the humility of Moses and embrace the command of Jesus to love our neighbors? Or are we more anxious to get the opportunity to tell them what we know and what we think they should believe? Which is it? John tells us, the gospel writer John tells us, if we say we love God but hate our neighbor, we deceive ourselves. True knowledge of God reveals itself in great humility and in a loving obedience to his command to love the world he came to save. You remember the words that follow John 3.16, right? He didn't come into the world to save the world, but to, to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came to rescue, to love. And should that be any less our goal? I mean, I think there's an especial danger for folks who have been inside the walls of the church for 10, 20, 40, 80 years. And it's, we've picked up some crosses and carried some crosses. We've endured some level of maybe scorn for our faith. We've sacrificed. And at times, the temptation to become like Aaron and Miriam is great because we feel like we've earned something by the sacrifice we've endured, or by the work that we've done, or by the gifts that we've given. Maybe even because of the way we've seen God use us, we, we begin to think that we're something more. But if we're gonna be humble like Moses, if we're going to maintain our intimate relationship with God, we will have to understand that we really don't deserve special attention. His eyes are already on the way of the righteous. He already sees us, he knows us, he knows what we're going through. He invites us into his throne room. We don't have to grumble. We don't have to impatiently kick the shins of our parents trying to get their attention. We don't have to act like four-year-olds. He sees our way. He knows our way. He's invited us into this loving communion so that together we can accomplish the mission while we're on that journey. Really, I think this journey is about doing what we can to bring a taste of heaven to the lives of those who are around us in our community, our neighbors, our families. What, what will the shape of this journey be for us? What will you do to bring a little heaven to earth as you show the love of Christ to your neighbor? If you're still living in Egypt, it's time to leave. If you're still grumbling in the desert, it's time to trust God and believe that he's at work. And if you haven't entered the promised land yet, and the fact that you're sitting in front of me means you haven't, it's time to be about the work of the kingdom to cooperate with this loving God who seeks to love the world through you, that they may know 
the kindness, the compassion, and the grace of God in their lives. I wonder if Miriam and Aaron had it to do over again, how things might be different. I wonder if Moses was tempted to say to them, to Miriam and Aaron, can you get over yourselves long enough to do God's work? Nothing like that is recorded in scripture. But you you just wonder, right? Could he see how their need for attention undermined their work among the people? As soon as God reveals it to them, they confess. They humbly confess. They see the error of their ways. And they're restored. They're restored. The same will be true of us. When we find ourselves in a place where we've allowed ourselves to think it's all about us, we humbly confess. And the Lord forgives us and restores us. Because as long as we're thinking it's about us, we're not useful to the Father. But the minute we recognize again that it's about Him and about being on mission while we're on journey, then He's able to use us again to His glory, not our glory, to His glory. And we get the joy of seeing Him work through us. You you kind of wish that Miriam and Aaron could have figured that out a little earlier, right? They had the joy of all those amazing interactions with God up until that moment. And for some reason, in the daily grind, it just got to the place where it wasn't enough. Will it be enough for us? Will we be able to humble ourselves and allow God to use us to his glory? It's my prayer that all of us on this journey together can avoid the pitfalls of Israel in the desert can avoid the complaining and the grumbling, can avoid the need for attention, but can get to the place of humility before God that says, God, if you will use me, I will give you praise and glorify you. I will pick up the crosses you invite me to pick up and I will bless your name because I remember that you freed us from slavery. I remember that you provide what I need for my daily journey. I know that you are protecting me on this journey and that you will see me through and that you are taking me in a direction to a promise greater than I could ever have the right to expect. All that you're doing and have done. And we will be grateful. I'm gonna invite the instrumentalist to come, we'll sing a song in closing, but pray with me while they come. Lord Jesus, in a day where there is so much grumbling and complaining around us, it is so easy for us to avoid the infection. Help us today. Protect us from the kind of interactions, the language and attitudes that just are bombarding us from this culture and enable us by your spirit to be humble, grateful, gracious children of yours 
that we may be used by you to accomplish your mission in the world. Help us, Lord, to organize our lives around this mission, this mission to love others and to praise you. And may all that we do bring glory to your name. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me and make this closing song your prayer as we conclude our service today? Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. Your guiding grace afford. Teach me your way. Help me to walk aright. More by faith, less by sight. Lead me with heavenly light. Teach me your way. When I am sad at heart, teach me your way. When earthly joys depart, teach me your way. In hours of loneliness, in times of dark, you and keep you. May the Lord keep his face trained on you and be gracious to you. May the light of the Lord's countenance shine on you and give you peace now and forever. Amen. <laughs>